And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiable Podcast. I'm Gavin and I'm here tonight with Justin. How you doing, Jazz? Hey, Gav. Hey, hey. Uh, Pascal can't be here tonight. He's taken his boat, the Orca, up to Amity Island to help with a problem they're having with shark attacks off the town's beaches. With Pascal's help, they're hoping to reopen the beaches in time for the 4th of July celebrations, which brings in a huge amount of revenue for the town. Um, well, Jazz, this is a pod that I haven't really been looking forward to to recording. Uh, first time we've been together post-City. Um, thought I was mentally prepared for what was coming, but turns out I wasn't. Did it uh, hit you the same way it hit me? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was hard to see. I um, I wasn't necessarily expecting anything different, but it still like you know hurt to see the scoreline and, and just how uh thoroughly outclassed we were um so yeah definitely not looking looking forward to talking about it either (laughs) (laughs) well the thing is did did it surprise you quite how big the difference was though I mean I think I I didn't expect us to win up there but I'm not quite sure I expected to see a gap that big between the two teams uh no I, I guess that's a good point the the gap was larger than I thought um and, you know, I don't want to play like a what if game, what if Saliba was fit and stuff like that. Uh, but I do think some of the people we had uh, on the pitch and some of the form, some of our more important players were in, uh, you know, uh, helped that gap for sure. Yeah, and timing, I think, played a part in this too. You know, we, City, City played us at the best possible time um, without Saliba when we're in really bad form. They're in great form. They've been fantastic the last couple of months. They couldn't have asked for a better time to play us and we couldn't have asked for a worse time to play them. And funnily enough, it's kind of similar to the last time we played them because when we played them at the Emirates, we were coming off the back of that defeat at Everton and then the defeat at Man City in the Cup with the rotated team and the draw at Brentford. So, I mean, I think, and you know, and Partey was was out that night and I feel like the timing makes a difference in this. I think if that game at the Emirates had have been in November, um, I think this could have been different. Yeah, earlier in the season, we were kind of a different animal altogether. Um, Though I guess, to be fair, City kind of was as well. I think um, we kind of alternated our our periods of good form. We we clearly looked the best team in the league pre-World Cup, and I think since the World Cup's been over, cities just kind of went from strength to strength, um, where we've fallen off just a little bit. Yeah, and no, I just, like I said, I just think that the timing of the two games, it, it just suited them. You know, both games are, both games were later in the season when they were hitting form and we were coming off form. And there's, you yeah. know, we, we do need to have a chat about that too, because me and Moan and Imran used to always say, uh, we always used to talk about Black November, right? Because... Mm-hmm. We used to fall apart in November every year. It was yeah. terrible. And in the last couple of years, we seem to have switched to April. And teams that win titles cannot be losing three and four games or dropping points in three and four games in the month of April. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's kind of evident of a, a bigger picture, don't you think? Um, 
I've been thinking about it a little bit more. It's like, you know, Arteta really only has what 13 players he really trusts. And I think it's, it's kind of been a theme under him now. Well, I don't know how far back you're going, but it feels like it's been a theme now that, uh, you know, those small number of players he trusts are injured and burned out before the end of the year. I think that's part of it. We've also only got one system as well as, as well as, you know, one team, one system. Um, One point that I've seen brought up a few times was Arteta was unwilling to change the team. I get that. I get that view, but I don't see what he could have done. I, I understand, you know, well, Crossard was playing well. That's fine, but the front three have not been our problem. That's that's not where the problem has been. You can bring in Trossard for Jesus. That makes no difference whatsoever to any of these games. I'm sorry, it just it just doesn't make any difference. Our problem our problem really is that we only have one team and you cannot take players out of this team and just replace them. We play a very specific way that we have built a team for. And I do think the next evolution now is to build a second way of playing and that's going to require more players. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got to do something uh, different. Um, you know, we're clearly a really good team. First 11 plus a couple subs uh, really good when everybody is fit and firing, but uh, you lose a piece or two or three and um, the wheels kind of come off. Uh and that's been really evident, you know, even just before Saliba uh, went down, you know, the XG has been dropping and the XG against has been rising. And um, yeah, we've got to, we've got to have a plan B or just a different way of playing that can uh, still get us results. We do. And one of the things that really stuck out to me on Wednesday night was the physical size and the power difference between the two teams. You you think of Kevin De Bruyne as this technical player who, you know, he it's all deft touches and stuff, and and you know, and he's got that in abundance. But how strong and how powerful he is, and how fast he is, Partey simply could could not cope with his physicality. It wasn't skill. It wasn't any of that. He literally outpowered him. And and I think I've said to you plenty of times in the past, Partey's athleticism or lack of worries me. I don't think he's very quick. He's not particularly good in the air and he can't last more than 70 minutes. We've we've seen that forever. Um, and I think it's a problem against certain teams. And I think with Manchester City, where they are so big and powerful, it's a problem. And then it was exacerbated by us being unable to constrict the spaces that he had to work in. Well, when, when uh, De Bruyne picked up that ball and pretty much dribbled past him like he was standing still, I think it was like the ninth minute, wasn't it? <laughs> That's the fifth minute. Fifth minute, yeah. Fifth minute. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a problem. I um, I definitely think we gave Party too much ground to cover in that game. And if there was something that maybe I would have done different, and it maybe wouldn't have made any difference at all, but I would have probably given him like a, a partner, like a double double pivot maybe to to help fill in that space a little bit more. But I mean, especially with that De Bruyne goal, I doubt it makes any difference at all. Uh, you know, the guy is just a, he's a beast, man. I think it looked obvious that Xhaka probably wasn't fit. Um, and I yeah. do wonder, had it have been Southampton at home or even West Ham away, if he starts, because I think he probably doesn't. But I just don't think it makes a difference. I, I really don't. I don't think there was anything that Arteta could have done that would have made that game any closer. I just don't think we've got it. 
we've like I said, we've got one team that we can put out there. And people can talk about going to a back three and all this. You do not get better by putting worse players on the pitch. The yeah. the ideas that I've seen about getting Kieran Tierney out there at right back or or at left back, you're not going to get better that way. The idea of bringing in Raw Waters or playing Jorginho, you're not going to get better that way. You cannot get better by bringing worse players into the team. Well, I mean, I think that's, I agree, by the way, I think that's just kind of the, the, the fan base needs a scapegoat and all of it was put on holding. So, you know, any way you got holding out of the team made us better, you know, it's just the fan rationale. And I I agree with you. I don't think, um, I don't think there's too many, I mean, there's probably a couple of tactical tweaks that may have helped us in certain situations, but I think the end result was the same, no matter what. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. And and I understand that. And holding was a problem. Like holding was absolutely a problem. He gets dragged out of position far too easily. That back line was jagged. You saw it time and time again where they were breaking through into acres of space because holding had either dropped off too far or he'd gone right into midfield for no reason whatsoever. And that it it absolutely ruined the spaces between the players. So you saw we had a press going on up front, but the back line was so far back. De Bruyne was just moving into them spaces and Partey, who already isn't exactly a physical beast, is now being asked to cover 10 times as much ground. The space De Bruyne had to work in was was uh, shocking, I think. Um, it was so evident time and time again, he was just picking up the ball with like nobody near him, just able to like run at that back line. And, and you know, I, I think Partey struggled. He had a, a, a bad game, but... Um, there should have been some some like you know in-game tactical changes I mean you can't leave a a player with De Bruyne's quality you know just alone like that it it, it was shocking stuff well we saw this coming because we said we were talking last week about the possibility of you know could you put a man marker on him and we said we just haven't got anyone that could do the job and I just I I get what you're saying about a tactical tweak and I, I understand you can ask for two midfielders to sit I just don't think it makes a difference I think that gap between the front and the back line was just so big. There was so much space in between. And all they did is they waited for us to press. And then they went over the top of it. And I tell you what, Erling Haaland had the best game that I have ever seen him have as a as a footballer. I I've watched I've watched Haaland so many times and he looks like a donkey that scores a lot of goals. But he doesn't bring anything else to the table. In that game, he I mean he was bringing the. He looked like Harry Kane half the time. He's bringing the ball down. He's laying passes off. His movement was so clever. I've never seen him play like that. And if that is the Erling Haaland that they're getting going forward, we're all in trouble. Yeah, Haaland looked really good in this game. I agree. It's probably the best I've seen him um, in a like not as a a goal scorer, but just um, like an out and out striker. I mean, he his his first touch and control was really good. He was you know playing great through balls into space for midfielders to run on to. Uh, yeah, I, I was really impressed with Hall in this game. And uh, he definitely showed me something, you know, that I'd not really seen him do before. He wasn't just a, like an out and out goal scorer. You know, he was really technically very solid and complete. It's crazy because usually he has 11 touches in an entire game, scores two goals, wanders off the field, job done. He yeah. he was central to everything they did on on Wednesday night. They had a they had a clear plan. They, you know, we we've seen him do it before when they hit him over the top. I've just never seen him play like this. 
you know, and one thing I'll say, there's been a lot of fans coming to dance on our grave after this and not Spurs fans because like, who cares? They're never going to win anything anyway. So I, I get that. But for Manchester United fans and Liverpool fans and even, even Chelsea fans really to be reveling in this, man, we are what? 13 points clear of a third. And that is what Man City did to us. We are levels and levels above everybody else, and they are levels above us. These teams that want to win something shouldn't be celebrating this. They should be absolutely fearful and fighting back against it with this with these Premier League charges because that gap is not a natural gap. Yeah, it's um it's scary times, really. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know the the gap is is absolutely true and it's it's evident just right there in the table um but if the, yeah i mean if the gap was as big between us and city on the pitch the other night and i mean it should be a wake up call to these other teams i i don't really you know i i i like that the prem isn't like a you know a, like a one team league uh but man it it almost looks like you know it is a one team league yeah, it is a one-team league. There's no that this is going to be their fifth title in six years. The yeah. only year that they didn't win it in the last six was the COVID year when they had a massive off year and ended up with 81 points. Their off year, their terrible year, is 81 points. This yeah. is a one-team league. I, I'm telling you right now, if the Premier League do not come down on them like a ton of bricks, there is no other team in this league. We cannot, in a normal, natural sense, we cannot catch Manchester City. We can't do it. There is no way without the Premier League bringing in sanctions and trying to do something about this moving forward that any team in this league, other than Newcastle, if Saudi Arabia decide to match what Man City are doing, there is no way for any other team to catch them. Yeah, I mean, that's that's looking really apparent now. And I guess, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't help us. I doubt it helps us at all this season. But but hopefully, what are they? They have like 134 charges against or whatever. That's, you know, I mean, hopefully something is done about it just for like, you know, uh, the sake of football itself. You know what I mean? The sake of the Premier League. Because nobody, no, I don't think anybody wants to see, you know, City running away with titles year after year after year. And look, they're they're on for the treble this year. Um, the the dominance is is so apparent, you know. And they'll piss the treble as well. Like it's it, it's not even going to be difficult for them to do. They will absolutely walk it. If they really want to turn it on against Man United in the FA Cup final, which they probably won't because they'll be saving themselves for later. They might not even bother starting De Bruyne in that. But if they <laughs> wanted to, they could put seven past United at Wembley if they wanted to. I, I, it is The gap is absolutely huge. And I do, and it's, you know, and it's all fake. It's all fake. It's not. It's not real. It's what happens when an oil-rich nation owns a, owns a club in a league. This is this is what happens. It's not real, um, but it's this is what we've got going forward. Unless they do something, the one thing that that does give me some hope is that I think to bring these charges in the first place, they must be very very confident that they're going to be able to basically prove all this stuff. The I don't think they make this big a song and dance about it if all that's going to happen at the end of the day is a fine. I don't envisage them getting kicked out of the league, which is what should happen. Um, I don't envisage them getting title stripped, but I do think there's going to be a massive point deduction. Not for this season, for whatever season we're going into when they finish it. But hopefully 
the bigger part is that it stops this going forward. Now it may be too late. You know, this this may well be shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted, but there's got to do, they've got to do something to bring some kind of parity in it because you can't just have a league where the richest shake wins. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm hoping for as well. Um, it's just that it, they find a way to to stop this moving forward. You know, uh, they get they they uh, pop them for all the faulty sponsorship stuff and, and they, they're not able to use that anymore. And in FFP actually, you know, does something. Um, I don't know. It may be wishful thinking, but, but that's, that's my biggest hope. I don't even really care about the points deduction. I mean, I, I'm sure they'll get a fine, but that means nothing to them, you know, but hopefully it, it, it levels the playing field a little bit more later on. Yeah. They've got to try to do something because We've heard for years, and Sky and the media push this push this narrative of a big six. There's a big six. There's a big six. There is no big six. There's no such thing as a big six. There's three big clubs in Arsenal, Liverpool, and Manchester United. There's two financially dope clubs in Man City and Chelsea. And then there's the best of the also-rans, which is Spurs, right? That is what you've got. That isn't a big six. That is the six that they're talking about. Now we've got Newcastle joining the realms of the financially doped. It's just not sustainable to to run a league like that. Yeah, what can they really do at this point, though? I mean, you know, the the fit and proper tests are seen, you know, just to allow these guys to still buy teams. I mean, I, I you know, at this point, it's like you know they they open Pandora's box. I think, um, you know, what can they do? Yeah, once you start allowing countries to buy football clubs. This is the way, like, like this is the natural conclusion of how this was going to end. Yeah. And like you said, if this carries on, I don't see how they can continue to sell this product as the best league in the world. Because what what's going to end up happening in in Scotland, where it's only Rangers and Celtic, right? That league is so poor, and the everything is so bad because no one cares, right? Like you you watch these these people think, oh, when when let's say Falkirk play Rangers or play Celtic is their biggest game. It's not, they don't care about it because they know they can't win it. So they just ignore it and go on to the next one. And we're getting that way with, with Manchester city. Now they're, they're rolling over these teams and everybody understands that this is just the way it is. Yeah. There is quite a bit of apathy to it. I think right now, um, but again, I mean, you know, now that this, you know, these these clubs have been allowed to, you know, to actually get the 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 purchases of these clubs, like, I mean, they're they would have to pretty much alter the rules completely, you know, have some bigger uh, sanctions, more rules about it. I I just man, I, like, I don't want to uh, act like you know I've lost hope, but I don't really see the Premier League being like having a spine enough to do anything extremely serious. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong, but. Yeah. I, I, I think they must want to, to, to have brought this in. I mean, I know there's a school of thought that there was an independent regulator being brought in. So what they're trying to do is basically stave that off. We're just going to have to see where it goes with, with this and with these charges. But uh, I'm just saying that if it carries on like this, I just don't see the, I just don't see the point of it. Um, and now you've got Newcastle joining that ranks as well. You know, we're getting to the point where people's hopes of this not being a one-team league is hoping for Saudi Arabia to win something. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. And I think um, it's been a while since I've looked into the city stuff. You know, it was more around when it first happened, but I think they're unable to appeal to CAS this time too, right? I don't think that's an option for them. No, because it's the Premier League that's, that's brought this up and, and the Premier League runs to its own charter. There's a charter, charter that all of the members sign up to. Uh-huh. And basically when there's stuff like this, the Premier League appoint an independent panel. The independent panel look at everything, review it, um, and then the independent panel will be the ones that actually bring down bring down the uh, uh, bring down the repercussions, not the Premier League. Um, and all that can happen after that is that Manchester City can appeal back to the independent panel, but they have to show that the independent panel has made a mistake in basically not in the punishment, but in the the reading of the evidence. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember the last time uh, they got kind of bailed out by CAS, if I remember correctly. So, you know, yeah, they still they still got a big fine. Um, but the the main part of it was that they said it was time barred, which basically yeah. means that City's lawyers had, had had held it off for so long that by the time it got in front of the CAS, the statute of limitations on the biggest charges had basically expired. So they couldn't hear the biggest charges and they basically just just give them a massive fine. And I believe that they may actually have docked them a couple of players off of their champions league registration. I think they could only register 23 instead of 25 or, or something like that. And I think it was about 30 million pounds in fines, which obviously to them is to them is nothing. They're owned by a country that, that, you know, an autocracy where the guy that owns them has got complete control and access over a whole country's funds. So right. 30 million is, is absolutely nothing to them. Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about the uh, statute of limitations there that, that bailed them out last time. Um, but yeah, you know, like we were saying, hopefully something more comes of this and, and it's, uh, you know, kind of a, a stop to the dominance is, is put in place. Because I mean, other than that, the only thing we can really hope is, you know, Newcastle and City go off and join uh, the Super League and get banned from the Premier League. And that's... It's bad when when that feels like you know it's uh kind of the only way forward here. Yeah, I just like I said, I don't want to be Debbie Downer on it, but I just don't see how anyone can compete with an oil rich nation. I just yeah. I just don't think you can compete. You can do what Liverpool did for a couple of years and maybe give them a run, but even then, if you look at it, people think that there was this big rivalry between Man City and Liverpool. I believe Liverpool won the league by about 16 points that year when we said Man City were basically had their massive off-season. There was one year where it was really close, 98, 97 points, something like that. Yeah. The other two years, I believe Man City pissed it by like 20 points. Like, See, you can say it's a rivalry and they finished first and second, but it wasn't really a rivalry. There were only There were only like two close years in the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I always kind of thought that rivalry was more manufactured anyways. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, watching them, you know, city is, was, was kind of the superior side the whole time too, you know, like uh, I think Liverpool has had some tactics that, that, uh, you know, helped them out a lot, but, you know, player for player, I think city was the superior side the whole time. And you can only put out for so long, you know, like we've put up a decent fight this year. Wherever we end up, we we end up, you know, we're going to finish up second. But I mean, whatever points and stuff we end up on, that's fine. But realistically, we, you know, this is just how it was always going to end. And, and I think you were saying about the Liverpool-Man City rivalry being manufactured. 
they had to manufacture it because if if you don't what are you left with yeah yeah that's true so you know no one cares about manchester city the reason that that you know clubs fans of these clubs are celebrating us losing there and you know losing the lead at the top is because no one cares about manchester city they they're just they don't matter so because of that that you have to manufacture rivalries to try and make it interesting because while they're reeling off title after title the Premier League still need people to keep watching the product. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Yeah. All right, you ready? I'm I'm uh, uh kind of tired of talking about City now. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can we can move on. I'm I'm done with that anyway. So, um the rest of this season, Jazz, we've got five games left. Um there's we're, we're pretty much going to be second. There's there's you know, there's nowhere to go. We're not going we're not going up or down from here. But how important is it to finish this season on a high, though, given how good this season has been for us? what I think what we don't want now is for it to go out with a damp squib. I think we need to try and get every point available. Um, and, and you know, at least, to be fair, this should be close, this title. We, de- we deserve to be close. So how important is it for us to grab every point available and at, at least make a real fist of it? I think it's really important. Um, you know, you don't want like a downer end to what was such an incredible season. You know, for for the actual club, for the fans, if it just kind of, um, you know, fell apart with the whimper here at the end, I think everybody would be really disappointed. And I think, you know, for, like I said, for it being such a, a, a huge season for us and such a well-performed season almost all the way through, you know, I, I really think they want to try to get is you know, as as much points as possible, as many points as possible. Excuse me. See, yeah, I think, I think yeah, ending this season well is going to kick us on into next season too, right? Like because there's the feeling around this matters. So we've had this feel good factor all season long, and I think it's really important to go into the summer with that feel good factor still in place. And I think if we can get if we can get five wins or four wins and a draw from the five games that are left, that's going to happen. And we're going to go into the summer really galvanized. And I think that's going to help us when it comes to securing our top targets. I think it's going to help us with the fans being behind everyone. And there might be a departure or two that people aren't keen on this summer. And I think if we can go in with that feel good factor, it will lessen the blow of that. And maybe, maybe give, I mean, I think we all trust what Edu and Arteta are doing anyway, but it might give it that little bit more validation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the, uh, you know, making sure the fans, you know, stay on the side of the players and continue being brilliant every game home and away is going to be, you know, I mean, it's been massive for us. I mean, I think, you know, the club turned results around more than we're used to them doing this season. And I think it's because, you know, they had the fans on their side every time. And, um, you know, as far as acquiring targets, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think the closer we are to Manchester City at the end, even if we're second, will go a long way to us actually uh, being able to compete, you know, and not just being a solid second place team. And it'll also give us more ammunition to sell. And I hate the word, but to sell the project, right. To whoever we've got next, because we're going to, there's no doubt about it. We're going to be looking for big time reinforcements this summer, big time reinforcements. So we need the project to sell. And I think if you're four points behind Manchester city, it's going to be a lot easier to sell that than if you're 12 points off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, you, we actually competed for a title. You know, if you're 
a gamer to you know four points further back you can't really say that if you beat if you're beat by like 16 points you know yeah exactly exactly that's exactly the way exactly the way i would put it so it's you know it's going to be a big summer there's a there's a huge huge gap that we've we've got to try and we've got to try and bridge um there was some news that broke yes well yesterday stroke this morning um that charlie patino doesn't want to come back and go out on loan again arteta doesn't see him as part of his plans for next season um i think there's a couple of different things to go into on this um first off let's let's look at it in the fact that it looks like he's going to be off what's going to be the best way to structure this deal oh, is is it going to be best to get a buyback clause in there is it a big sell on clause what there's there's apparently a lot of interest from the premier league and abroad i i can see him going abroad actually um but how what's going to be the best way for us to go about this i think a really good i like so his contract runs out in 2025 i believe yeah um I think a really good sell-on clause would be the way to go. I know a lot of fans get attached to these these youth players, these Halen kids, and I do as well. Um, but I think there is something stylistically about him that, uh, you know, Mikel doesn't love. I'm sure he likes the player a lot, but, um, you know, he's seen things on his loan that, you know, he doesn't love. He's not even wanting to really integrate him yet. And uh, so I, I don't know if it if it's not if he doesn't have enough potential to, you know, get viewed right now, I don't see how that's going to change in the next couple of years, but I could see other teams being really interested in him going for a decent fee. Um, I think a sell-on clause is going to be the best way to maximize value. Cause I mean, can you really see us buying him back for like 40 million, 50 million in a few seasons? I just don't, I don't know. I mean, it all depends on how he progresses, right? It's the same with, with all of these. I, I do think if let, let's say, uh, Let's say Benacer. I think if we'd have had a buyback clause in there at thirty million, I, I think we'd have we'd have gone and bought him. Um, but it, but you know, and then but then the timing's also got to be right for a buyback clause. You know, if at the end of the season, if he has a great season next year for wherever he goes to, and there's three teams in for him looking at him at forty million, and we say, well, you know, we're not spending forty million yet because you're still nowhere near our level, then we're not gonna we're not gonna do it. Someone else is gonna buy him, and then your clause is your buyback clause is done anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, depending on how, uh, you know, the feelings are between him and the club too, he, you know, it may take him a while before he's even ready to come back as well, you know, just from like an emotional standpoint for Patino. Um, and this, we've talked about this before, right? This is this is something that we are going to have to get used to as a club now because we're seeing, we're seeing now Balogun is probably going to be off in the summer, I would imagine. Um we are looking at Wanieri not renewing his contract. It's not as easy to get in this team as it was to get in the team two years ago. We're also going for different prizes, right? We've gone from our target being the Europa League to our target being challenging for the title and the Champions League. We've also gone from our midweek games being at places like Dundalk, um, you know, and, and those sort of teams in the Europa League group stages. Now we're going to be in the Champions League group stages. There's not going to be that sort of rotation. We've said this before. There's actually going to be less games to go around. And I think with these these youngsters, I think this is something we're going to see more and more of because the pathway to the first team is getting harder and harder. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's it, isn't it? I mean, the, the fact is we don't have... Uh... 
we don't have these games anymore to like integrate these guys in the team. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Arteta and co would love to, but you're even thinking about these players. It's, um, you know, it's better for their careers as opposed to coming and getting, you know, three league cup games or something like that over a season. Um, so we don't have the time. We don't have the games anymore to like, you know, give these guys a shot. I mean, look at, um, you know, Smith Rowe, I know, you know, we've talked about there could be something else going on here, but he came back from a long-term injury and, and we, we don't have the minutes to risk giving him not being up to speed, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, you know, if you want to compete for the, for, for titles, you want to be in the champions league, there's just not room for, for these, you know, young kids coming through the lineup. There's not. And the other thing I want to point out is that if this was Cesc Fabregas, he'd be playing. If this was Bukayo Saka, he'd be playing. At the end of the day, as much as we've heard a lot about Patino for the last few years and how he's going to break through and this and that, he's 19 years old and he isn't even close to our first team. He's not even he's not even close to the squad. So the fact is, there are so many of these players who at 16, 17 look like they're going to turn into world beaters and just don't make it. The odds are that Patino is just going to be another one of them that's going to end up a decent player but not good enough for the top level. Yeah, I agree. And that, that jump from, you know, youth football to senior football is, is a really tough one and probably where, you know, <clears throat> most people get left behind, but you know, like you were just talking about like, you know, odds. I mean, the chances of you having a kid coming through your youth Academy and him being like a nailed on starter is, is pretty rare. And we've already got that with Saka. So it's like, you know, we would have been incredibly fortunate to have that happen, you know, two or three more times, you know, like with Pitino and Balogun. And it's just not really realistic. You know, now we use the Youth Academy for its other main purpose, which is, you know, driving driving revenue too. We'll be able to get a lot of money for these players, you know, without having pretty much just pure profit. And this is exactly part of the model that Liverpool used when we were all talking about that Liverpool model is the one we want to look at. This is how they did it. Yeah, People like, Dominic Solanke, people like that fullback who ended up in Seattle. Um, Jones, was it? Brad Jones, who ended up in Seattle. All, all the players that Bournemouth kept giving them 20 million quid for, for yeah, some for unknown sure. reason. This is, you know, this is the model they use because those those kids, to us, it was like, well, who the hell Smith? Brad Smith, I think was his name. We're, we're like, who the, who the hell is, is Brad Smith? Who's Dominic Solanke? But then players at one point will have had the same reputation at Liverpool that yep. Charlie Patino has got ours. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that is, that is how it is. The other clubs don't know about Charlie Patino. He's just, we yeah. know about him. Fans of other clubs don't know about him. So this is how life works. This is how football works. And like you said, these are an important revenue stream for us at a time when we need to seriously bolster the first team. And if we're going to continue to challenge, we're going to have to continue to bolster the first team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too situation. If you want to be like challenging for titles, you want to go far in the Champions League, you know, this is kind of what your your youth academy turns into is more of a revenue driver. It has to be. It has to be. Like the class of 92 that United had, our one in the, in the early to mid 80s, 
it, it, that stuff doesn't happen very often. Like there's a reason that those, that those generations get remembered for years and years and years, because yeah. it doesn't happen very often. And it didn't happen very often when football was a very, very localized game. Now it's a globalized game. So it's yeah. going to happen even less often. Yeah. And I love the two players we're talking about. And I mean, I'd say uh, Norton Cuffey is going to be another one to add to this. Uh he's kind of fallen off on his loan. And, and on top of that, he's not the style of fullback that well, I don't two, think. Two years ago, Juz, it was Miguel Aziz. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like Miguel Aziz <laughs> was the answer. Bring bring Miguel Aziz in. He's going to be next big thing. He's now out there at Wigan, not impressed. And he's probably going to have his contract cancelled in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I love these guys, Patino and, and Balogun especially, but, uh, you know, this could be absolutely massive for the club if we get some some good money for them. And, you know, it'll probably turn into some of the most desired summer targets that everybody wants, you know, and, and it's just it's just part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100 percent. OK, mate, let's uh, let's end part one there um we're uh we'll come back in part two we'll we'll look forward to chelsea and and get into a few a few other bits so we'll uh see you after the break hey guys just a couple of quick halftime announcements we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app it really helps us reach a wider audience and we thank you for your support also, don't forget to check out our socials. We are the NN Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We try and put out some cool content, so give us a like or a follow and help us build our Guna community. Welcome back to the Non-Negotiables podcast. This is part two. Jazz, so we finished the first half talking about um, Chai Bettino and uh, the likely Sal. Um, that's coming up in the summer. We also know that that Balogun is likely out the door. I would say you can add Kieran Tierney to that list. You can add Rob Holding to that list. Um, you can add Tavares to that list. Uh, who else we got going out? I mean, I, I do still think there's a possibility that that Eddie leaves if if money gets thrown on the table. Uh, yeah. I think there's a big chance that Emil Smith Rowe leaves i i saw um another thing today linking him with aston villa again although when emery was at was at ours he never played him um but you know there's going to be a couple more out the door right yeah i'm i'm not uh i'm not quite ready to have that conversation about smith row um <laughs> i'm pretty partial to him but yeah i would say all the other ones are um are likely to leave this summer yeah yeah and i think when it comes to Building this uh, this squad, building this this next eleven, building this plan B, however you want to look at it, I think that there's uh, you know these departures have got to happen because these are players that Arteta is not going to use anyway. So we may as well get them off the books and get some players in. Have you got any ideas? I mean, we've got. I don't want to go over Rice and Caicedo because I think we know we all want Rice and Caicedo, but we'd all want Rice and Caicedo to kind of fill holes in the squad kind of come into roles that were already established. You know what I mean? Someone to replace yeah. Pike, someone to replace Shaka. What I'm more interested in is what we could do to give us some different options from this team. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to hit on him very long because we've talked about him before. Um, but, you know, I think uh, someone like uh, Fresneda or someone similar 
that can give us the like roaming fullback on the right, similar to you know something that Zinchenko does. I think uh, having someone like that on the right, you know, will will uh, you know give us more dimensions and allow us to play. My question is actually on that topic: Do you think? Do you think Art like in, I'm talking like long term? Okay, do you think Arteta likes just having one fullback in Zinchenko that goes forward, and the other three he kind of wants to be more center backs, or do you think he's hoping for like a Zinchenko on the left and a Zinchenko on the right? No, I don't. I don't think that's what he's looking for at all. I, I think I don't think he would. I think he likes the security. Um, now that doesn't mean that he can't switch. If you got Fresnader in, it doesn't mean yeah. you couldn't get a different style of left back. Um, yeah. That could that could certainly be an option, um, but I, I I think though I think having three of the back line that really are centre backs mm-hmm. I think that's something that that he that he likes. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And I mean Ben White is is kind of perfect, you know, because he is a centre back by trade. But um, you know he he's solid in that right back spot, and I think he's really grown into it this year. So um, you know, I'm curious. I'm, I like to see that development, and I think he'll probably be even better in that spot next year. Um, I do think we need, you know, I think regardless of of holding the end of last season and the end of this season is showing that we definitely need another center back. Well, we're uh, being linked with the Croatian defender, Satolo, is it? And um, from the limited bits that I've seen of him, I do really like him. He's young. He's an international He's he's big. He's quick. I I think he fits the bill. Good. I haven't seen that link yet. Uh, but yeah, it it sounds interesting. I mean, those are uh kind of qualities of you know Kivior as well. So we're obviously you know we have like a type in in central defense. Yeah, and with with Pass not being here, I think it's uh, it's down to me to bang this drum. And you're going to get surprised by this one because this is not a player that I've been overly keen on before. But over the last couple of months, I'm I'm coming round to it. If Balogun goes, which we expect he will, whether Eddie goes or not, I think we are going to have to get another striker in and a different uh-huh. type of striker. I am really, really warming up to the idea, as long as he's not banned for 25 years, um, of Ivan Tony. What do you think of an Ivan Tony or an Ivan Tony type, a bigger striker, more of a target man, someone who can really... I mean, let's be honest. We we saw Haaland do exactly this, and I'm not comparing not comparing Ivan Tony to to Erling Haaland, but someone that physical in stature. What do you think about something like that up front to give you a different option when you want to play the game a different way? I think that is what we need. I agree completely. Um, like a like a Plan B type striker that can do different things to Jesus or or Eddie or you know whatever. Um, I like Tony a lot. My biggest concern is just what his, you know, what the, uh, the consequences of of the, of his gambling charges are. Um, But, you know, I mean, he's still playing this year, so I guess maybe it's, it's not going to be, that's the only thing that makes me worried about him specifically, you know? Yeah, I understand. It doesn't have to be him specifically. I mean, I was never that keen on Vlajevic and I'm still not that keen on Vlajevic now, but I, but that type of stature, I prefer someone a little bit quicker. Um, but that type of stature, I, I, I am, I do find that very intriguing. The thought of adding that to the squad, because mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I mean, I, I said this in the summer that I thought Jesus was a player that we would buy and we would all really like. 
And he'd be a bit like Olivier Giroud in that we'd spend the next five years trying to upgrade him every summer. And, <laughs> yeah. and to be quite honest, I, I think we're there. And I think Jesus has been has been fantastic. I think he's been I think he's been excellent. He's been all we could have asked and more. But I do think there's a level up, and I think we've got to try and find that level up. Yeah, it is kind of funny. Um, you know, he he's never been you know incredibly prolific. Uh, I think if he wouldn't have got hurt, you know, he he could have had, you know, in the teens, you know, goals wise, like high teens or whatever, but yeah, he was never going to be some super prolific goal scorer. And I, I think we definitely need somebody that uh, can, you, you know, just more of a target man, someone that can, you know, change the way we play, but also still chip in with, you know, 10, 12 goals a season, maybe, you know, for, for more of a bit part. I'm intrigued at how they're going to, how they're going to do this. Um, because I, like I said, I, I do feel like Jesus was um, is very much a bridge signing. I think he, I, I, I don't, I just, I never thought Jesus was the was the ultimate aim for that role. I think he he come in and he did a brilliant job of raising our level, and I just think we've got to go again. I think we've we've got to raise the raise the level again. Um, I know I said I didn't want to talk about Rice and Casado, and, and I really don't like that. But a player like Rice again who can do basically what John Stones has done for Man City, where he can play in the back and come out into midfield. Um, but he also adds that that power and power and pace. I believe that he would also um, allow us to, to play different ways, change our shape a little bit. Yeah, he's been scoring a few goals recently too, which, you know, we could always, we could always use in midfield. Um, yeah, right. Physically, we've, we've still... We've still got a way to go, right? Physically to bridge that gap, I think. And and midfield seems to be the obvious, the obvious place to do it. Like Shaka is Shaka's a physical specimen. There's no doubt about it. But there's parts of his he's got an engine on him, and he's very very durable. But obviously he's not the he's not the paciest. He's not an all power runner. And I think that is one area that we can basically upgrade the physical profile of the of the squad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whether the plan is to play Rice in a six or in an eight, or he'll probably do time in both, to be honest. But um, and I think I, he's got the ability to change the shape of the side as well, right? So, so you're not with a traditional six or a traditional eight. Yeah, yeah. Rice gives us a lot of versatility in in how we can set the midfield up, and I think, um, and I think Caicedo does that does that too. Um, yeah. probably a little bit further forward. He probably doesn't have the ability to drop into the back line that Rice has, but he certainly has that ability to play that defensive midfield role. And, you know, it, it might be that we need that role to adapt a little bit because what we've got at the minute in Partey is an all-singing, all-dancing wall in defensive midfield that flicks the ball over people, goes around people and dribbles out of tight spaces. Yeah. It could be that that's not what we go for. I mean, Rodri doesn't do that. Fabinho never did that. It's not the only way to play the game, the way that Partey does it. It's just the way that our team, as it's set up right now, needs someone to play. I just think, you know, we've been talking about different options. Maybe that's a role that has to change within the side as we move forward to give us a different shape. Well, I think you're probably right about that. There's not many players out there that, you know, have the skill set that Partey does, you know, um, no, like, but he's got weaknesses too, and those weaknesses have oh, really yeah. shown up in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the weaknesses are apparent. And then, you know, even let's say even if he's been brilliant, I mean, his injury history is is sketchy at best, you know. 
Well, and the, you know, people are using well, he might be carrying a knock as as a way to to kind of offset that. But to me, that's even worse if he's carrying a knock because then it's another season where an injured Thomas Partey has has cost us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think that's going to be the number one position that we have to address uh, as far as importance to the team. Because I mean, you just said it; it's basically cost us you know, a couple of seasons in a row now. And I wonder if there's a world in which if we did have two physical specimens like Caicedo and Rice in the midfield, someone like that as two there, if we could, because let's be honest, we play a 4-3-3. We do not play a 4-2-3-1. We play a 4-3-3. We play four. We play holding. uh, We play four with party holding. We play Odegaard and Xhaka. And both of those are advanced. Xhaka's as advanced as Erdegaard. People don't realise that. Erdegaard isn't the furthest forward. Um, Xhaka and Erdegaard are both really, really advanced. Maybe there's a way to play an actual 4-2-3-1 with Erdegaard playing the actual 10 role if we get two. We couldn't do it at the minute because Partey and Xhaka, physically, I don't think they could handle it. But if you've got two more all-action players in there, maybe you can change the system. Yeah, and I think that's really what we're trying to do is is more tactical versatility. Be able to go from a 4-3-3 to a 4-2-3-1 with a double pivot easy. Or, you know, chasing a goal, you bring um, one of the more eight-minded um, eights out, like Xhaka, and be able to put in like a second number 10, like Smith Rowe or Vieira, you know, uh, having a striker that you can sub off and, and putting on more of a target man, a bigger guy that'll win headers and stuff. I think uh, that's that's obviously the next thing that we have to do. Things that, with one change or or a little bit of a formation tweak, that we can uh, you know tra- change our strategy. Um, and it was very interesting that last summer, Arteta was doing that in the preseason, right? Like we saw us go to a back three in almost every game at some point in the summer. We'd start off playing the four three three, and then it'd morph and he'd bring out the back three, and he'd bring out uh, two up top. When we got into the season, that all disappeared. I don't know if he just didn't like what he saw during the off season, or if it was just it. The four three three was working so well, he just said, "Well, screw it, we're going to run with it." But we saw him trying that last preseason. We never see him switch at all during the season. No, yeah, I mean that is interesting. I mean, basically, since you know uh, game one this season, when everybody's been fit, we we've done the same thing, you know. And even now with a few injuries, we just like plug and play. He doesn't seem too interested in, in changing the system, which you know I don't have a huge problem with because you know when we're on, we're really on. We're we're you know fun to watch. We're we can be deadly. We're solid defensively. It's just when you start getting those, uh, you know, those holes in the squad, things fall apart really quick. And I don't see that he really had the options to change the system. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in part one. I, I just, I don't think that we would have been helped by going to a back three all of a sudden or by going to a double pivot all of a sudden. I think our best chance was to roll out our best team and just see where it takes us. I just don't see we had any other option. Yeah, we talked about this in part one too, but you know, I think uh, Arteta's trust in the players too. I, I do not think he trusts like eighteen people in the squad. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, he doesn't. There's no it's... way. There's no way he doesn't. Honestly, I don't even think he trusts half of his own signings. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think he trusts Kivior to come in. 
I don't. I don't think he trusts. I don't think he trusts Fabio Vieira to come in. I mean, he played. He played him in front of, when when Xhaka was ill the other night. He put him in there, and he got let down pretty badly. Yeah, I don't think he'd do that. I don't think he'd want to do that again. Yeah, I don't either. Well, we saw Smith Rowe come in for City, and I I think that per, that Vieira performance probably had something to do with that as well. Maybe. I mean, the game was also dead, and we we you know we spoke about this a few weeks ago, where Arteta seems to use Smith Rowe more to give bring someone else off than he does to bring Smith Rowe on. Yeah, that's true. But why was it Smith Rowe and not Vieira? You know, it's kind of my. Yeah, yeah, it was it was intriguing when he when he brought him on. I did I did think that at the time, um, but you know we we're, we're gonna have to see how that one how that one plays out. So, I mean. Let's go on to the game uh, tomorrow night against Chelsea. Do right. you think we're just gonna? Do you think we're just gonna roll out the the same team again? I mean, part of me part of me thinks, well, the season's kind of done now. So if you're gonna try something, then then this is the time to try it. And I do think that Rob Holding will be gone in the summer. So I don't think it's a situation with, well, you've got to leave him in because otherwise you're going to destroy his confidence or whatever. I don't think it's going to matter because I don't think we're going to see him in an Arsenal shirt again in a game that matters. Um, so does does he change the system? Does he do something different against Chelsea? Or or is he just going to roll it? Because we know Saliba's not back again. And, I, and again, I don't think we're going to see him again this season. What does he do here? I think he rolls out the same team. Um, I do. I mean, I'm, I don't know if that's necessarily what I would do, but it just seems uh, it's what I think Mikel will do. Um, you know, I'd like to say maybe, you know, he puts somebody in for holding, but I, you know, I don't think he's not going to play two lefties in central defense. I think it's going to be the same team. And I don't think uh, like messages are going to be sent. I don't think he's going to drop party for, I mean, party's not betting great. Right. But I think, with how much ground we're asking that six to cover right now with no Saliba and the line being deeper, Jorginho is going to have a hell of a time covering that space. You know, if Partey can't do it. Um, if so Partey plays, to me, if Partey continues to play, I think that tells you he's not carrying an injury. Because why well, risk him at this point? Okay, well, I guess I would say the season's not over you know, is over as it feels, it's not over. Imagine if, if City lose, like loses to Brighton and Brentford and we've already given up. So we, you know, I had a terrible fear about that the other day when I thought about it, I was, you know, just imagine if we just, uh, you know, start like practicing for next season or whatever and, uh, and City end up losing like two or three games. How would that feel? You know? I understand. But I just can't believe that. I just can't. I just, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see where they're, where they're dropping points. I, I just, I don't, I honestly, I think the season is over. Um, and, and I, and I don't mean that to be in any way critical because I think it's been an absolutely fantastic season, but I, I, and, and I want us to finish on a high. I want us to win as many games as possible. I, I just don't see any way City lose it from here. Put it this way. People have wanted to talk about, Arsenal bottling this and bottling that, which we haven't done. We've just been up against a better team, a financially dope team, a team owned by an oil-rich nation, and we've just come up a little bit short. If City were to lose it from here, fuck me, that would be the biggest bottle job I've ever seen. That would be Tottenham levels of bottling it. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, 
but I mean, you know, they do have a couple. I mean, Brentford away is a is a tough game. If I see them, I mean, did you watch the uh, Fulham game yesterday? I didn't. I, I've got to be honest oh, with you. When that final whistle went for the Arsenal Man City game, I turned it off. I haven't watched a single bit of football since, except an incredibly funny clip on Twitter of Richarlison scoring, doing a chicken dance, getting a <laughs> yellow card, and then Liverpool immediately going down the other end and getting the winner. Um, that that is literally the extent of my football watching since the final whistle of that Man City game. I haven't had it in me to watch it. Uh, that was his first Premier League goal too, I think, Richarlison. First Premier League goal, but his third booking after a goal. Figure that one out. Huh. Well, I I uh, I was doing other things, but I had the uh, Fulham game on, the Fulham Manchester City game on in the background. It ended two one, but uh, Fulham actually looked pretty dangerous. They had a couple times where. Um, I thought they might score, and in, 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 I'm not going to say City was was more uh, toothless because I mean they obviously still looked good, but it just kind of made me think, you know, someone like Brentford or Brighton could cause them problems. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to throw it away because we think the season's over. I think we still have to put the pressure on. And, and I, do- I get it, and I understand it, and you, you're absolutely right. The worst thing in the world would be if we fucked around now, played. Right. Played a free at the back with Kieran Tierney up front, and <laughs> you know, and Rule Waters on the left wing, and we, you know, and then Man City go out and lose two games. That would be the worst, the worst thing. Right. I just don't personally think that that's going to happen. I, I don't either. I don't. But I think, um, I think until it's like mathematically over, we've got to keep pretty consistent with the lineup. I just don't see Mikel, especially, just making wholesale changes. Um, no, I, I think you're right. And I, I do think I, I do think that Trossard is gonna start. I think Trossard will start. I think Trossard will come in probably for Jesus, would be would be my guess. Um again, I don't think it matters. I, I just don't I don't think there's a, a personally I've said this to you before, I would stick with Jesus. To me, he's the centre forward. Um but there's gonna be a clamour for Trossard to get in the team, not that Arteta gives a fuck what you or I think or anyone else thinks, but there's going to be a clamour for Trossard to get in the team. And I can see him making that change. Again, I don't think it's a, I don't think there's a single change he can make that's going to make the make the slightest bit of difference, put it that way. I'd like to see um I don't think this is going to happen either. Um, but I'd like to see Saka sit out one, maybe not necessarily this Chelsea game, but um I'd like to see Trossard come in for Saka, not not necessarily on the right, but um, I just think he could use a rest. He's been a little ineffective, and I. Um... Well, it's it's funny you say that because the other change that I was thinking of, or the other person I was thinking of who who, who might start, it seems we are trying to get Reese Nelson to sign a new contract, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So if we're trying to get Reese Nelson to sign a contract, what's the most likely way to give him some games? Yep. Like you said, I know Arteta's not giving up yet, but is this the point in the season where he goes, you know what, maybe I can give Reese three or four games here and show him that he can he can have some game time? Because, I mean, I know that's not why he brought Eddie in last year at the end. He brought him in because literally we had no one left. Right. Um, but it, it did, If if put it this way, if Eddie hadn't have come in when he come in, he wouldn't have signed a new deal. Yep, that's true. Hey, I'd I'd love to see Reese get like a string of games. I think, um, you know, statistically he's done really well in most of his sub appearances. I think he started one. Was it 
Trent. I mean, it doesn't matter, but um, you know, yeah, I started. Up- was it the game after Bournemouth? He started. I I think so, but I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember what game it was, but yes, he did start a game. But um, you know, I'd love to see what he could do with this string of games. Um, and I think you know there are some guys that you could strategically you know give a week off without you know throwing in the towel or anything. I think I think Saka though would really benefit from you know sitting a game or two though. He he just he hasn't looked the same to me. And I'm not necessarily saying he's tired, but I I just think he could he could stand to uh, to get a break. Yeah. Maybe, um, and like I said, it is you know the, the thought of of Nelson getting some getting some game time has definitely crossed my mind because it's you know supply every club uses when you try. I remember when for some mad reason we were desperate to pay Theo Walcott ten times his worth. We yeah. started playing him up front and and all sorts of things. I mean, it was an Arsene Wenger thing to do that when a player needed a new contract, he yeah. would start playing them, giving them whatever they wanted, make them captain, do all this stuff. It was kind of just how he was. I don't see Arteta really as as being that same kind of. Uh, he's he's not as he's not as friendly um, as as Arsene Wenger seems. Um, but I I do think that that is that is definitely a possibility. Um, Chelsea, I mean, good luck guessing what their team is going to be because they've got about 120 players to choose from. Um, they're losing every game regardless of which fucking eleven they put out there. I mean, I, I'm not even going to guess. Yeah, they have quite a few injuries right now too. Um, so you know, it, it could be kind of a mess. I know you know uh, Mount Reese James are both out. Uh, so yeah, I, I couldn't even begin to guess either. I mean, you know, there's a couple, uh, you know, that I would obviously be worried about. You know, just from like a a story perspective, you know, like Mudrick going off and bagging a hat trick or something like that, but I, I don't, I don't think anything like that's going to happen. This should be a pretty comfortable game for us, but we also need to be careful not to underestimate either, because it would, ju- it'd be just like Chelsea and, and and Frank to to you know dick us over on a result if we're if we're careless. I would really, really like to see us bitch slap them. I would too, <laughs> yeah, like six or seven nil. I, yeah. I really, I would really love that. But you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're on, they're in bad form. But we're not in great form even now. We we haven't won in four, um, so we're not we're not in the greatest form. And it is important that we that we get a win here, wherever however we get it. I think we've got something's got to happen to try and pick the club up as much as anything else. And we have been good from bouncing back. It's the old coming in threes thing that for some reason has yep. become something for us over the last few years and. Man City was the was the third game. Um or Man City was it the third or the fourth? It was the yeah, it was the third, wasn't it? Liverpool, West Ham, no, Southampton. So it was the fourth game. So Jesus, we're on a worse run than I thought. Um so yeah, but we, we need to get back to winning ways here, but we could really do with with giving them a clattering. Yeah, I think it's positive that it's um it's home as well. Um so if we if we can, you know, bounce back tomorrow, I feel pretty good about um you know, closing out the season strong. But if we drop more points tomorrow, we could be on a, a bit of a, a slide. Um, what what did you you didn't really answer the question? You think holding still starts tomorrow, or you think we mix up the back line a little bit? I do think holding starts. I do because I just I just don't see again. I just don't see what change he's going to make. I mean, I think he's. I don't think he wants to play holding. I really don't. But it, it it's not like holding's going to come out and get booed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's not going to happen. He's not going to come out and not get booed. He's more likely to get a louder cheer than anybody else than 
anything else. Um, um, what are you really going to do if you drop him? Are, are you going to play Kivior? Because, I mean, I've seen this before. We know Arteta doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to play two right-footed centre-backs, let alone two left-footed centre-backs. So I just don't see it. And let's be honest, people are talking about this. It's the old backup quarterback syndrome, right? When the best player in the best player on your team is always the backup quarterback because he's the one that you always <laughs> want to come in. And yeah. I think we've got that here because we've seen Kivior a couple of times. And, mate, he ain't look like Tony Adams, does he? I would say, you know, we, we'd be more likely to uh, move Ben White central and put somebody in right back than we would to bring Kivior in. Um, but what's your option? Your option really is only rule waters. Let's forget about these fucking mental ideas of playing Kieran Tierney at right back or Zinchenko at right back or Partey at right back. That's not going to happen. So if you were to move Ben White in, the only real, you know, the only other madcap idea that I could see him maybe going, well, fuck it, is Reese Nelson at right back. That is the only other madcap idea I can see him maybe going for. But even then, I would be surprised. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. I think he's done a little uh, He's done a little wing back before. Um, I'm not sure he's ever played in a back four. But, I mean, he, he'd probably be fine there, to be honest. But, yeah, I, I guess I guess you bring up a good point. Yeah, I don't, I don't really see that either. Um, no, so I just I just don't see where the where the option is unless all of a sudden he, he he you know did a complete flip on everything we've ever seen from him and did go with uh, a back three of White Gabriel and I mean personally I would in a back three I would probably play Tierney but it could be Kivior unless he actually did go and do something like that I I just don't see how he can change that back line I know everybody wants it but I've yet to see anyone come up with a realistic suggestion. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, in a, in agreement then. Yeah. I think holding starts. Yeah. And and if Jack is fit and Jack played, I mean, don't get me wrong. He didn't look fit at Man City. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, well, we know he, he we know he was ill um, yeah. and we know he was a doubt until very, very late. And I, I, you know, I said to you, I thought if he could, if he could walk, he'd be out there. And I think mm-hmm. we were in a situation where he could just about walk. So we put him <laughs> out there. Yeah, he didn't he didn't uh, have a great one in City and I think um you know like you said if he can walk he'll be out there that's kind of um uh you know kind of a granite jacket curse I feel like you know he's always going to play if he's available so Yeah, so I agree I think that's going to be the starting lineup. I, I don't think we're going to see I don't think we're going to see anything manic. You're you're absolutely right in that even if I think the season's over Arteta isn't going to be thinking the season's over. He 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 won't want the players thinking that way. At the end of the day, there's still 15 points to play for, you know. And and at the end of all this, as bad as as bad as the last week has felt, the fact is that we've got five games left. If we win all five, we equal our best ever points tally. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point too. Yeah, personal accolades are still there, still up for grabs. Um, yeah, I don't know. I see us definitely trying to finish strong, and I, I really don't see much experimentation at all. Um, there's part of me that thinks that, um planning for next season would make some sense like giving uh nelson a run of games resting saka getting walters his debut and getting him a couple games uh Kivior, getting him bedded in there you know there are times where i'm like well that might make sense but then i realize that's kind of stupid and they're gonna he's gonna go for all the points possible not only that but i don't know how many of them players are going to be in the squad next year 
You know, I, I think this summer is going to be a really, really big summer. I think you're going to see four or five first team players come in and people like Kivio are still obviously going to be in the squad, but I don't know how high up the pecking order is going to be like next season. Let's say next season's like this one and Gabriel is available for pretty much every game. Do you honestly see Kivio getting any more game time than he has this year? Oh, just, just cups probably like. So I, I don't know how much planning you can do for next season. I think most of us expect uh, a right-sided centre-back to come in. So I, I, I don't think that just playing someone at right-sided centre-back to bed, I mean, he's going to work, so I don't think they'll play there again. Um, I think most of us are expecting a cover right-back to come in. So playing Nelson at right-back or, or bringing Raw Waters in, I don't think that sets you up for next season because I don't think that would be the plan for next season. I, no. you know, Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah, I, no, don't, yeah. I don't think the players that are going to make an impact next season that aren't currently in the team are in the squad right now. Yeah, that, that's that's true. That's a good point. Even even Nelson could be, you know, at equal or worse standing next season, you know, depending on what we do there too. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah. And, and there's some recency bias here. Like I said this to you the other week, uh, you know, Nelson, Nelson scored the goal against Bournemouth and he's had a couple of pretty good cameo appearances. But he started one game and I think he's come off the bench in five now. That's not exactly, you know, it's not, it doesn't exactly scream you're part of my long-term plans. I mean, we've seen us give these deals to players who really aren't that integral before. I mean, we gave that deal to Enketia last summer. Enketia is never going to be worth that deal we gave him. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think um, we've made fun of this in the past, that the whole protecting their value with the contract thing. I do think think we did that pretty well with Enkedia. I think if we were to sell him this summer, we we would do all right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I think that's what it is. I don't think he's... I, I honestly don't believe anyone at Arsenal ever thinks that Eddie Enkedia is going to be the leading centre-forward at Arsenal. I think in an ideal world, Eddie Enkedia would be getting useless and worthless minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely. He's never going to be the starting striker at Arsenal. Yeah. And, and I think the same is true of Reese Nelson. I don't believe that Reese Nelson will ever be a serious challenger to either Saka or Martinelli. I don't think he's a serious challenger to Trossard for minutes. And I think if we buy another wide forward, they will immediately jump him in the queue. Yeah, that's true. And then, you know, you've got to ask yourself, you know, why why would why would Nelson sign another deal at this point? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, he could be fourth choice at the start, fifth choice at the start of next season. You know? I've said this over and over again. If I was Reese Nelson, there is no way I'd be signing a new deal. No yeah. way at all. I'd be looking at clubs like Brighton. I'd be looking at even the clubs like Palace, who will probably lose Elise and maybe Eze in the summer. I'd be looking at clubs like that, and I'd be saying, hey, come on, let's let's give it a go for a couple of years. Let's see where I can go. Let me see if I can play well enough to get myself a move to Chelsea or Liverpool or or wherever. That's where my head would be if I was Reese Nelson. I wouldn't be looking to re-sign for a team where I'm where I'm not going to be looking at any more game time than I have got this year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, he's it, it it's just like Eddie. I mean, he's just straight up, he's never gonna like challenge for a starting spot. Like, you know, it's just that's it. Yeah, and I think Eddie. I think part of the reason that with with Eddie as well is that we paid Eddie a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? And I know Eddie was getting big offers from other places. I mean, it was widely reported that he was getting big offers from other places. But because we didn't have to pay a transfer fee for him, we could maybe bump up the wage packet a little bit. And huh. let's be fair, what Enkedia got was incredible security over the next four years. So that's why Eddie signed that 
Eddie signed yeah. that deal. I don't think Eddie really believes that he's ever going to be the first choice at Arsenal. But what he's done, as much as we may have we may have protected his value, he's also protected his pay packet. Because yeah. now if we try and sell him this summer, he's not going to sign for someone on less money than he's on now. If no. someone offers him less money than he's on now, he's going to come up to us and say, hey, you've got to make up the difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he did all right on that deal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was a win-win, really, from that point. And we thought it at the time, and we thought it when he came in and had that good little run in the in the team. We we thought it then. It was it was a win-win deal, and I still think it's a win-win deal. But yeah, I, I think that if we did that with Reese Nelson, I think there's a very very big possibility that it wouldn't end up as a win-win deal. Yeah, yeah, that is probably true. So. Um, okay, mate. Well, I think um, have you got uh, have you got anything else? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. All right. Well, let's let's call time on let's call time on this one here, um, and we'll be back together at the end of the week when hopefully Paz will be here as well, um, and we can uh, pick the bones out of what's happened against Chelsea, and then obviously we've got a game against Brighton at the weekend. That's an interesting one. Um, oh, by the way, with uh, Spurs getting beat again at the weekend, I don't know if you've looked at the table or not, but there's a real chance that they're going to end up in the Conference League or even below that. So, really? Yeah. No, I haven't it, looked at the table. Yeah, they're down to, I believe they're down to, I don't know if they're down to fifth or sixth, but Brighton have got a couple of games in hand below them. Um, it was a real shame that, that Villa couldn't get anything out of Man United, actually, and, and put even more pressure on them. But but Brighton are coming up on their on their coattails, and Brighton have got us and Man City to play, so that's, that's interesting. Um, but they've got a couple of, I think they're two points behind with two games in hand. Um. Yep, you're right. Yeah, so there's a there's a real chance of that. So that that oh. Brighton game at home, there could be some silver linings. Three games in hand, they've played 31. Tottenham have 34. Wow. So yeah, so um, so yeah, so there's a real chance that they could uh, that they could end up in in seventh or even eighth. Yeah, I I, I, I like Brighton. All right, I'd be alright with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only problem is that they've probably got to uh, they've probably got to beat us to get there. So that. Yeah, actually, they they might not, but they've but we, you know we've played City as well. That's uh, that's a that's a tough running for them. But yeah, okay, mate. All right. Well, I just figured that was uh, we might as well end it on a high note, really. <laughs> right now. Enough. So, all right. Well, I will uh, I will catch you after the Chelsea game. All right. Good night. All right. Good night.